from the Shoyoroku. Okay, 76. Point. One phrase clarifies three phrases. Three phrases clarify one phrase. Three and one do not interact. Clear and obvious is the path of the utmost. Tell me, which phrase is first? The main case. Attention. Shuzan addressed the assembly saying, when you are awakened by the first phrase, you become a teacher of Buddhas and ancestors. When you are awakened by the second phrase, you become a teacher of humans and divas. When you are awakened by the third phrase, you can't even save yourself. The monk asked, teacher, by which phrase were you awakened? Shuzan replied, after the moon sets, midnight, going through the marketplace. The verse. Withered skulls of Buddhas and ancestors cured on one stick. The water clocks drop after drop, moves the pointer minutely. Essential activity of divas and humans. Firing a thousand pounds of catapult. Thunderheads glistening and glowing swiftly shoot down lightning. You over here see the transformations. When meeting the lowly, be noble. When meeting the noble, be lowly. Getting the jewel through formlessness the ultimate way is continuous. Letting the butcher's knife sort freely in the dead ox, there is implicit trust each moment. So at the beginning today, I asked us all to be reminded that this is Zen training or more briefly this is training we're here to train to train in doing what we're doing to train in dying to doing what we're doing moment by moment No hesitation, swiftly, to the point, doing what we're doing. Not giving the habits an inch, because they will want a mile. Not looking for accommodating everything to feed us, to feed our desires, to meet our comfort level. We're here to train to do the opposite of what we want to do, essentially. Because we think we know what we need, 
And we're here to examine, do we? Who wants this? Why do I want this? Who am I? What is this? What is the training? What is the training? Where am I on this? This is a question as practitioners we bump into quite often. Sometimes we admit, sometimes we don't. Sometimes I hear it personally by students who ask, where am I in the training? Can we put a number on this? We wonder how far we've come. Where are we right now? And what's next? And so it's a common question, especially the, five, the first five to ten years of practice, which is considered the, the beginning of practice. It takes about, they say, yeah, I don't know who are they, but it is said that it takes about five to ten years, about ten years probably, to, to get to a point that there is some level of understanding, some level of realization and awakening. Which means it takes that time of determined practice, unwavering. In the beginning, a number of years, there is a strong notion that we are moving away from what we don't like towards what we like. From the stench of everyday life, everyday challenges, to the scented flower of some promised land, from delusion to realization. And there's also a notion that in this, on this path, there are numbers. And I will be able to recognize where I'm at, or roughly where I'm at on that path. I've been training, I've been practicing for one year, three years, five years. So based on what I read, I should be about here. Here is how far I've come so far, right? Up to this point. And here's what's next. But based on what? Is it based on what on what the practice is about, or is it based on our highly structured minds, the minds that want notches, structure, levels. And the mind is structured. So it is natural to experience this, right? To have such thoughts. And then with, not just with Zen, any activity, anything we do. Whether it's work-related, education, learning a skill, sports, and of course, spiritual practice. On one level, we can't deny that there is an incremental movement in all these activities. That there is, there are new discoveries, new abilities that were previously not available to us. And now they are. So there is a sense of moving from 
one rung to another on this imaginary ladder that we're climbing. And we call that progress. But we also can't deny that there is no visible line separating between where we believe the level of our practice was one, two, five, ten years ago, and where we believe the level of our practice is right now. I'm not asking you to believe what I'm saying. I'm just asking you to, as always, examine this on your own and see if you can identify gaps or a gap between what was, what is, and what will be. What is the gap? Is it real or is it imagined? Is it what we want? How often we, we see what we want to see but not really what's going on? How often do we actually see what's really happening? Connect to what's really happening? So if there are no gaps, if you go further with that, exploration in relation to proficiency development. How about this question? Where did the new ability come from? New skill. Where did this come from? And what happened to the clumsiness of before? Where did it go? I can't deny that I, maybe I am, maybe I was clumsy. I wasn't good at whatever. And now I feel more proficient, more flowing. Where does it come from? Maybe you say it comes from experience, experience. But what is that? What is, what is it that we call experience? What is it other than putting one foot in front of the other while moving along and while being supported by the same ground? Is it something else? Is, this, is there ever anything else other than putting one foot in front of the other? Taking one breath at a time. One inhalation, one exhalation. Over and over and over again. We get good at things. Obviously, we got good at breathing. We get better at it. But we got good at it just because we do it over and over and over again. Other numbers, other rungs, other levels. Remember some years ago I was looking to buy a very, <coughs> very coffee grinder. Some of you coffee lovers maybe connect to that. And I was looking, I was reading some reading about it, differences between the grinders. <coughs> and I was looking at a stepless version versus a stepped version. I was reading about the differences uh, between them, and essentially they are the same machines. The only thing that's different is the 
that one has a mechanical apparatus that stops the movement of the adjustment knob every few millimeters. And the stepless doesn't have that. The one with the steps has it, the one with the no steps has a continuous movement between the, the most fine and the most coarse grind. And same grinder, different grinding experience. One gives the illusion of certainty with a firm click at each stop. Click, I know, number five. Right? And the other doesn't. The other just keeps flowing freely. You have to kind of fill it out. What's the difference? One may be more skillful in training. Maybe we use that for a while and then we go to no notches, no steps. Until we get comfortable with a reality that has no steps, essentially. Or with a practice that has no levels. So we create, we put on this uh, made-up apparatus on something that we know after practicing for a while, we know has no apparatus or such apparatus. I did get the stepless version, by the way. I did not want to be hindered by numbers. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I thought about in relation to our practice and how on, on one level we're always exactly where we are at any given moment. Since that's where we are, it's exactly where we need to be. Because we can't be anywhere else. It's as simple as that. We can't be anywhere else. There is nowhere else. But that's not enough for us. We need to measure it up against something. So we can feel good about it. Or maybe feel bad about it. So we create something to measure it up against. We call it levels. We call it levels because on another level we feel too open and too undefined when we don't bring in numbers. And sometimes we don't know what to do with that. It's just too open. How do I practice in the wide open space? How do I practice without knowing where I'm coming from, knowing where I am, and knowing where I'm going? I feel lost, right? We do feel lost. And it's okay to be. Then we have the desire to put a number on this, to identify, to label it, and to compare it. And then we are really lost. Because it just gives us a, uh, an imagined sense of comfort. Or sense of self-definition. 
But in reality, this would be not different than naming leaves or trees. Yeah, we can name, we can give numbers to leaves. But why? <coughs> why do that? Yet, we do identify levels of practice, right? And as we mature in the practice, we're able to see further into it and further refine our understanding of Dharma, practice, Zen. Maybe nothing better. So it is skillful. It is skillful to set up levels. But we have to know how to work with levels. Right? We work on them from the level of ground, from the level less. Otherwise, what is skillful can become a problem or an issue. And we end up harassing ourselves to stagnation. Because I am not where I think I need to be. And I'm very disappointed. And then I feel stuck. Because I don't measure up to my own expectations or expectations of others which I think they have. They may or may not, but I think they have. And this can only delay the natural process of ripening. So levels can work both ways. Can be skillful, are skillful, but can also get in our way. And some of you are Aikido practitioners, so you know what that means. <coughs> I think we all know the students that are too preoccupied with measuring their progress tend to stifle the development of the progress. Development of proficiency. They actually slow the process down. And it's a process that wants to occur. It wants to happen. As long as we allow it. We do it over and over again with a fresh and clear mind. With a desire to learn and progress. Yes, we will get better. Absolutely. But how do we take one step at a time? How much of our energy is preoccupied with, am I there, am I there, am I there, am I there? When am I going to get there? I screwed up, I messed up. The hell with this practice. Or whatever thoughts float in our minds. Or many of those. And in that, how can we expect to get better at anything when we're not giving it full attention? Because the attention is swallowed by those thoughts. Naturally, Aikido students who are not so preoccupied with where they're at, how far they've come, actually tend to progress faster. But they don't mind. Because they don't measure. Maybe because when we practice this way, we learn to enjoy the practice. We'll, we learn to not mind. We learn to see that there's plenty here. There's plenty to be happy about, to appreciate, to enjoy. Why would I care so much about what's next? Next level, next belt, next rank. What does it mean? 
mean something to us. And that's what we need to examine. Does it really have a meaning? Or is it again what I assign to it? We are giving up full attention to an activity. <coughs> We're already having the best experience we can have. It's already the best there is. And I'm already the best at it, at that moment. Already, I am actually where I want to be. It's an incredible experience because it's full, it's alive. And being at that moment having a full, perfect experience, I develop at the same time. Meaning the proficiency level grows, deepens. So we mean, isn't it? It's all covered, all taken care of. Without being too concerned, too worried, too preoccupied. All that we need to do is just pay attention, be present, be alive. That's what we train in, right? That's what we do here. Moment by moment, full expression, and at the same time, continuous, unending progress. Buddhism uses the analogy of climbing a mountain and looking at the valley below. And at the beginning of the climb, we are at the level of the valley and only see the immediate surroundings, cannot see further. And as we begin to climb, our view expands, our ability to see grows naturally. See more. Our vantage point changes. We have a broader aspect of the same valley. It's not a different valley. It's not a new valley. Never been a new valley. But something does change. So as we go further up, the view becomes more expansive. And while it is true that we can see further as we climb up on the mountain, it is equally true that we have always been on the same path. We've always been seeing the same valley. And always been treading the same ground. So something is the same and something is different. Experience change. And the mountain path and the valley below represent the the deepening of our practice and our ability to apply it in everyday life. And it grows, it changes. So we go from a mouse view to a bird's eye view. And little by little we realize that there is a different way to see reality, to meet it, to communicate, to exist, to function. And you see that it includes everybody, embraces all things. Nothing is outside of that. But we don't know that at the beginning. Oh, we 
we don't experience that. But being a bird doesn't mean that we're no longer a mouse. Nothing is left behind. Nothing rejected, nothing neglected. So we're more like a mouse that discovered it has wings. It has the ability to fly while running in the trenches with everybody else. Birds, mouse. So how do we know if we're making progress? That's a common question. I want to know if, uh, if what I'm doing is working. Well, who wants to know? And why does it matter? Why do I want to know if I'm making progress? What am I looking to gain? by asking this question. It's not that it's a wrong question, it's just that we have to know how to ask a question and we have to know what to listen to when there is an answer given or, or maybe advice given. Because often what is given does not match what I want. Often we feel even more confused by the answer. Just give me a number, 1 to 50, where am I? Don't complicate it. Fine, choose a number, there you are. That's your number for today. Does it work? Maybe it needs a stamp. Then it works for us. The fact is that as long as there is sincerity in your intention, authenticity in your words and actions, and relentless determination, progress happens by itself. It doesn't need you to worry about it. It needs you to keep attending to what you're attending, but it does not need too much intervention. We don't need to micromanage progress. Let it breathe. Give it oxygen. Little by little what happens is that the extra head you put on your original head naturally dissolves. Naturally. You realize, I don't need that. This is an extra burden for me. I don't need to defend anything. I don't need to protect anything. I don't need to raise anything and tell others about it. It's too much work. So maybe instead of asking, am I making progress? We should ask different questions, such as, am I true to that which I am or to what I think I am? Authenticity. Right? Am I true to that which I am or to that which I think I am? 
And then, are my words and actions serving an agenda? And do they discriminate? Because often they do serve an agenda, and often they do discriminate. And then, third question, am I continuously working on raising the level of discipline, tenacity, and trust in the practice? That takes work. A lot of work. Because the tendency is to lose the momentum and run towards or to uh, displacement activities. And to, to want to accommodate my desires, accommodate me. Pick and choose, as we know. Pick and choose. You know, we come to practice to not do that. To not do that. To sit with a mind that wants to pick and choose. To work with the mind that wants to pick and choose. But to work with it with kindness. So maybe you think, well, how kind is it to be told to not move? Yeah, that's very kind. Because it's the only way to not give that mind an inch. Because it is moving us. And often to directions that are not very wholesome. Very Those questions, those three questions, obviously they're designed to help us sustain the state of constant exploration rather than put a yes or a no answer at the end. It's not static, it's dynamic. As all questions need to be in our practice. They should point us to a dynamic life of Zen practice, Zen training rather than back into the static, deadened state of being. And we ponder questions like that so we can maintain our original shoshi, beginner's mind. As long as there is an open question, there is open reality. Just ask is enough, just to ask the question. That's all. And then to watch for certainty that comes up in us. Oh, I know. I know where I am. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm coming from. I know what I'm good at. I know what I, what I suck at. I'm horrible at this. That's the extra head. That's the head on the head. That head knows everything. So today, in today's Quran, we, we meet Shuzan, who was a 10th century Chinese master in the lineage, lineage of Rinzai. 
once a monk came to study with him and said, I've long been submerged in delusion. Loss. I asked the master to receive me as a student. And Shuzan said, I don't have time for that. The monk said, how could the master act in such a manner? And Shuzan said, if you want to practice, then practice. If you want to sit, then sit. What do you want from me? Do you want to practice? Go ahead. Or do you want a label of a disciple? And you want to label me as a teacher? If I do that, I know exactly where I am. And I know where I'm not, too. Often we, we come to, we knock on a door and want to walk in and want that practice, that path to do something, to change something. And often we are completely unwilling to change, yet we demand, I want the practice to change me, to do it for me. It's not going to do anything for us. What can it do? Does he do? So what Shuzan is saying is plain, simple, clear. His answer, right? How do we enter this clarity with so much expectation, so many demands? And Pointer says, one phrase clarifies three phrases. Three phrases clarify one phrase. Three and one do not interact. Clear and obvious is the path of the utmost. Tell me, which phrase is first? Where do we begin? Where do we end? How do I look at that? It's one, two, three. I like that, right? sure I can find myself in one of those numbers. But in this, every step clarifies the preceding and succeeding steps. And at the same time, the same time, this is what the pointer is pointing at, at the same time, it has its own position, as we chant, expressed according to function and place. We walk along the path or practice, we gradually, gradually become less fettered by what happens. So we do experience a broader sense of freedom, a higher vantage point, if you will, to see further, to see broader, bigger sense of reality. So it does happen, but do we need to wait? for future experiences to come. Well, can we practice this now to our fullest ability? Right now. Every step along the path it has the same inherent potential to awaken us to the fundamental truth. Every step. This is why they say that every step is illuminating the other steps. 
has its own position. But if every step has the same potential, then we have to treat it in the same careful attention, with the same careful attention, with the utmost care. Because if I disregard this step, I will disregard the following step. If I don't see this, I will not see that. If I'm not awakened to this breath, I will not be awakened to the following breath. Because I'm not practicing awakening. It's as simple as that. What will happen later will be a continuation of what is happening now. How can we expect things to change? Well, they are changing, but how can we expect ourselves to change, to realize and recognize flow? We want to change and we don't want to change at the same time. We long for it and fear it at the same time. We want to break through, but not just yet. I need a little bit more time before I can part ways with every, from everything I've attached myself to all these years. <coughs> what we need to realize is this, this, this right now is where everything is happening and we have to walk sure-footed and with confidence, regardless of where we think we are, regardless of how far we think we have come, the practice is asking us right now, do it, do it right. With everything you've got, put it all on the line. No hesitation. Put your foot down, put your entire weight on it. Not gingerly, fully. You want to wake up, wake up. As Shushan said, you want to sit, sit. What do you want from me? You want to practice, practice. You need permission? Granted. Go ahead. You can do it. Every step, every breath should be fully embraced and greatly appreciated. So its potential as an entry point can be revealed, and it will be, it is revealed, if we just look, if we just give it that attention. Otherwise, we end up sleepwalking through life, right? Now realizing the countless opportunities, we stumble. The Nirvana Sutra talks about solid practice and it illustrates it using three animals crossing a river. An elephant, a horse, and a rabbit. It says, when a rabbit crosses the river, it scoots across the surface. It, doesn't, it barely touches the, the ground. When a horse crosses the river, sometimes its feet touch the bottom and sometimes it is floating and, and the feet do not touch which is neither here nor there. But when an elephant crosses the river, its feet always touch bottom firmly. 
in some commentaries say that the Japanese word tete, which means totally, comes from that story about how an elephant walks. And walking on the path of Zen must also be thorough, firm-footed, like this, like an elephant. Regardless of where we think we are, regardless of where we think we're going, and how far we think we have come. It's actually completely irrelevant to doing fully one thing at a time. Completely irrelevant. Not just irrelevant, actually, it gets in the way. So in this koan, Master Shuzan addressed the assembly and said, when you are awakened by the first phrase, you become a teacher of Buddhas and ancestors. When you are awakened by the second phrase, you become a teacher of men and divas, human and divas. When you are awakened by the third phrase, you can't even save yourself. And the monk asked, by which phrase were you awakened? And he said, after the moon sets, midnight, going through the marketplace. Three phrases Shuzan speaks of here were first set up by Hyakuja in the early 9th century. He said, the teachings all have three successive phrases. First, one should be taught to produce good mind. Produce good mind. Second, the good mind is forgotten. Third, only the final good is realized. Then he further explained, the immediate mirror awareness is your own Buddha nature. It's good in the beginning. We're born like that, right? In other words, your basic fundamental nature needs to be realized to some extent at the beginning stages of practice. Trust has a lot to do with that. We all inherently Buddha. And then he says, second one, to not keep dwelling in the immediate mirroring awareness is good in the middle. And that is to say that after realizing true nature, don't cling to it. Let it go. Drop that too. And the third one, the third phrase, he says, to not keep making an understanding of not dwelling is the final good. At this point of training, even the advice, do not dwell, drops away. Even that is not needed, unnecessary. Because there is nothing to hold on to from the beginning. What would you let go of? Who would let go As in the phrase, dwelling nowhere, raise the body mind, right? The Dharma Sutra. We can even tweak that a little bit and say, dwelling nowhere, the body mind is freely raised and expressed. It's always been expressed. It's that we mess with it, we get in the way. We want to know. We want to know. Whether it's where we are, what we are, where we're going, we want to know. But this is beyond knowing. You don't know who you are 
You can only be who you are. That is doable. Knowing is a different issue. And we look at Hyakuju's explanation of the three phrases and then compare it to Shuzan's words, right? Hyakuju says that the first phrase is the begin in the beginning is good, right? Is the beginner's good. The second phrase is the middle good. And the, the third phrase is the final good, or the ultimate level, as it may seem. But Shuzan says that if you're awakened by the first phrase, you become a teacher of Buddhas and ancestors. If you're awakened by the second phrase, you become a teacher of people and divas, which are minor gods. And if you're awakened by the third phrase, you can't even save yourself. It sounds like he's contradicting Hyakuchi, right? Because by the third one, forget that. You can't even save yourself. It seems like what he's saying is different than what Hyakuchi is saying. Right? If, you took, if you have to wait to the third phrase, phrase, you're doomed. Or at least it would seem this way. And you can't even save yourself. But you need to be saved. From the beginning, do you need to be saved? At the beginning, yes. Of course, the answer is yes. As long as we, you hold on to a belief that you are chained by your past and by life circumstances, the answer will be yes, I need to be saved. And then there is going to be a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting another time, another day, another opportunity. But Hyakujo speaks of the good in the beginning, the good in the middle, and the good at the end. The good does not change. Experiences of that good changes. Always in the words of the great Yunman, every day is a good day. It's a good of the birthright. And it is our birthright, yet we need to journey from doubting to trusting. Primarily because we are disconnected and feel insufficient. We feel insufficient. So we, we journey. And we arrive. Quote, unquote, arrive at the good from the beginning, the same good. We feel insufficient. There's a poem I'm going to bring up here that talks about seeing and yet not being able to actualize. It says, pity that my mind is clear but my power is insufficient. Time after time, seeds produce manifest patterns. Persistent habits. Like a, like a man gone crazy from wine, no sooner swung off drink than finding some fine liquor. We want to be free, at the same time we don't. We want to practice a path, that path. Yet we also want to practice at the same time some habits on the side. 
says, if we come into a practice center and, and ask, can I practice and still keep this package with me? I don't want to go. Can I do both? Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You want to come? Come. You want to go? Go. You're not practicing for a teacher or for a sangha. You're practicing to realize. And in that, you're free to come and go. But if you say you want to practice, if we say we want to practice, then we should match the actions with the words. And stop harassing ourselves or deluding ourselves. As the Buddha said, if you want to stop suffering, stop creating it. But I'm not creating it. It is done to me by life. Right? Life is doing it to me. And I take it personally. Life is not doing anything to anybody. It's doing what it needs to do. It's actually being very true to itself. Doing what it needs to do. But then my practice is not working for me, right? Now realization is not a matter of time. It's a matter of willingness to, to shed the extra baggage we have come to attach to. You know, and some people do express disappointment with their practice. And they say that after so many months, years, whatever, decades of practice, they, feel, they still feel trapped by old habits and occasionally still manifest old patterns of behavior, as in the poem. But the fault is not in the practice or in what it can offer. It has to offer. The fault originates in our, in our unrealistic expectation that if I get my butt on the cushion every day, my life will magically turn out the way I want it to be. It doesn't work this way. Not because the practice doesn't work. Because it's happening right now, moment by moment. And just because we don't appreciate it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because we create uh, an illusion, it doesn't mean reality is stained or distorted. All we do is just distort our own views, that's all. And we're free to do that. That's the beauty of it. We're free to do whatever we want. Now, diligent practice, diligent discipline practice will, can only shed light on what's going on. So then we can discern what is wholesome, what is unwholesome. And then we have the option to choose the words and actions the words and actions that are of benefit to all. I mean, you know, Dharma teachers can tell you that they trust you, that you have what it takes, encourage you along the way, but it's up to you. It's up to us. Always. Practice will not do anything 
for you. What do you do with it is the question. So the monk in this case asked Shuzan by which phrase he was awakened. And Shuzan replied, after the moon sets, midnight, going through the marketplace. So we climb up to the top of the mountain with all our might, all our vigor, just so we can return to the village where everybody else is and be of benefit to others and stop caring, stop minding the thoughts, the emotions. Because that doesn't mean to disregard or ignore emotions. It means to know how to work with, how to regulate emotions, how to process, how to not be fettered by thoughts and emotions, memories. So we have to do it. But we're not going anywhere. The verse actually describes in a different way, different words, the first, second, and third phrases. It starts with saying the withered skulls of Buddhas and ancestors cured on one stick, which is the first one. When you meet a Buddha, kill the Buddha. You are it, period. And then it says the water clocks drop after drop moves the pointer minutely. I've ever seen a water clock. <clears throat> it's very precise and it moves in the same way that the water drops on that mechanism. It keeps moving. Drop after drop. It's freedom. Flowing. Freedom of functioning. And then it says, and that's the essential activity of divas and humans, as it says in the poem. And then the last one says, firing a thousand pounds of catapult. Thunderheads glistening and glowing swiftly shoot down lightning. Third phrase. And then it says, when meeting the lowly, be noble. When meeting the noble, be lowly. So Zen training really wakes us up to a sense of equanimity, which does manifest in the way we interact with other people. Which means when we encounter someone who may see himself or herself above others, we're not disturbed. We're not disturbed. Because we understand equality. And then we can engage from a, a plane of humility. So it's not belittling anybody. Because nothing can be below. It just means that maybe we can be more compassionate when somebody is trapped. Because we know what it feels to be trapped. And if we encounter someone who may be experiencing low self-esteem, we can express nobility from a plane of acceptance and equality. Project the same equanimity. 
to the high and the low. So when we tap the inexhaustive well of equanimity, and it is, we can devote ourselves to making the uneven even. Through being and through action. And this is the challenge of practice. To recognize that the uneven is even in ourselves. So we climb the mountain. So we practice. And we recognize, and then to share it with others, to project it, not by preaching it, but by being it, by beaming it. As Master Shuzan was about to die, he entered the Zendo to say goodbye to the monks. He recited this verse. The silver world, the golden body, Impassioned or passionless, together one truth. When brightness and darkness are exhausted, neither shines forth. The sun past its apex reveals the whole body. Nothing is missing, nothing is hidden. And after reciting this verse, he said peacefully, passed away. May we all find the courage to embody these words in our lives. And find a way to, to die peacefully in this way.